We're concluding our series on the Gospel of Mark today, and um, I invite you all to stand at this time as we consider a message into all the world. Our text, Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We began over a year ago preaching through the gospel of Mark under the heading gospel truth for growing chaos. We thought it significant, important, as always, but especially in these tumultuous times in which we find ourselves living time where there's so much criticism uh, leveled against Christianity, against the truth of Scripture, we thought it important to reacquaint ourselves with the message, the pivotal truth of who Jesus is, of what he did, what he is doing, and what he's going to do in the world. Today's message brings us to the end of the book. Uh, The psalmist tells us that uh, we live our lives like a tale that's told. That is, our lives is like a story. And unfortunately, it is a short story. (laughs) It's just the way it is. Every story has a beginning, has a storyline, and then an ending. And in that sense, we're very much like the Gospel of Mark. We also see it in this great book and in his story of Jesus' life. It was the beginning and then the story, and now the end. We remember how Mark began his gospel. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What pivotal truth that was. John says, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how it all started. And now... With Mark's very concise, very straightforward way of writing, he's going to end his gospel in just the same way. He brings together two things for consideration in our text today as he comes to the conclusion. Like he so often did, he sets things together. And we've seen that again and again and again. Things for us to notice as he puts things together for a reason. And today we'll notice that he puts these two things together, the witness, the witnesses, and the world. The witnesses and the world. We begin then with the witnesses in verse 9. Now when Jesus was was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. We spent some time last week considering the prominent role of Mary Magdalene, who was at the cross, who watched where he was buried, who returned to the tomb then on that Sunday so long ago. And now we're told again that she was the first witness to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and the first one then who had the privilege of going and telling the message, Mary Magdalene. Now, God gave us five different uh, stories, five different accounts uh, of the resurrection story and of the events that happened around that and after that. Uh, That is to say that 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all gave us an account, and then Luke gave us more in Acts chapter 1. So there's five different accounts. I'm not telling you this morning that uh, that means that uh, all of them uh, were just uh, a bunch of contradictory information. They all told their own story. No, no, that's not what it is. I want to I remind you today that when you look at this story, uh, they each one told it, and they told it for a reason, and they told it in a certain way, and they emphasized certain things, certain perspectives. Of course, they were being guided along in their efforts by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, John would record three different times when Jesus appeared to the apostles as a group after the resurrection. Mark doesn't mention all of those. Matthew ended his gospel with what we call the Great Commission. It was spoken in Galilee, according to him. In that account, it doesn't mention Jesus' ascension into heaven at all. Matthew simply ends with the Great Commission that was in Galilee. Uh, John did not mention Jesus' ascension into heaven either. Mark does not mention where they were when Jesus ascended. Luke tells us it was at uh, Bethany or near Bethany in his gospel. In Acts, which is by far and away the most concise uh, or, or the most clear uh, definition or, or account of the resurrection time of Jesus Christ and his ascension, uh, and Acts were told it was on the Mount of Olives. I want to pick up a couple of details from Luke's account in Acts chapter 1. Under the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he, that's Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering, by many infallible proofs. Don't you just love that? Many infallible proofs. Proofs, being seen of them 40 days, 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So as you read these accounts, then, or you consider all of the gospel accounts, you'll know that Jesus appeared to the disciples, to the twelve, on that Sunday long ago. And that's really where Mark is going to spend almost all of his time. Talking about what happened on that Sunday. That Sunday when Mary Magdalene saw him at the tomb. And the other people who saw him on that Sunday. And that gathering then when they gathered together. And Jesus appeared to the apostles in that Sunday night service. You know you miss a lot of good things when you miss church on Sunday night. Just saying. And so Mark is, is just going to center himself right there. Just basically with what happened on that Sunday. And then he's going to end. We'll see that in a few moments. But Luke tells us that Jesus actually spent time with the, with the apostles for 40 days. He appeared to them many times. He taught them many things, he says, concerning the kingdom of God. But he showed himself alive by infallible proof. You do remember, of course, that Luke was a physician. When a doctor tells you that something is infallibly proven, that means a lot. 
You see, so many times doctors just have to go by what they think. And how many of you have ever heard a doctor say that? Anybody besides me? Well, we think this is what it is. And I'm going to give you something that may help. (laughs) Doctors have to live with that a whole lot. There's a lot of things that they just don't know for sure. So when Dr. Luke says that Jesus was dead, but he showed himself alive by infallible proof, this was infallible, indisputable. Jesus showed himself alive, Dr. Luke says, by many, not one or two, many infallible, undeniable proofs. 40 days. I'll bring up Luke's account then to show you how prominently the concept of witnesses figures into the message of the resurrection. Remember, that's what Mark is showing us, the witnesses. Luke would go on in Acts chapter 1 and say this, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem And in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. So Luke tells us then of the prominent nature of witnesses. And that adds to then what Mark was doing in his gospel when he wrote these words for us so long ago. He's emphasizing these witnesses and the role that they were to play. I want to pause for a moment to give you a warning, especially our college-age students and young adults. The world system at large is bent on making your generation the first generation in history that is majority uh, atheists, as far as America is concerned, majority secularists, they tend to call it more these days. Uh, they want to make it so there are more of you that don't believe in Jesus Christ and don't believe in the Bible than that do believe in Jesus Christ or believe the truth of Scripture. Uh, they're pushing that agenda very hard. In many parts of the country, they start in kindergarten. And they go all the way through your college years where they really turn up the pressure. One of the things that the people who like to attack the Bible do is they like to settle in on these gospel accounts. And they want to point out to you all of what they call the discrepancies. I want to tell you plainly, students, there is no discrepancies in the gospel accounts. None. Jesus was here for 40 days. He met with these apostles, some of them individually, many times collectively. Many infallible proofs. The day of Pentecost occurred 50 days, 50 days after the Passover. What happened on the Passover? Jesus died on the cross and his dead body hung on that cross for three hours before they took him down and buried him. That happened on Passover. Fifty days later. Not 50 years later, not 500 years later, 50 
days later. Simon Peter would stand up in the temple in Jerusalem and preach that Jesus Christ was alive and not five, not 50, but 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem would believe and be baptized that same day. Caiaphas was still the high priest, the same guy that held the council against Jesus. Pontius Pilate was still the governor. Herod was still the tetrarch. The Jewish high court, the 70 men were still there. Same people. Fifty days later, seven weeks, Simon Peter would stand up and preach on Pentecost. They would hear the gospel proclaimed by a bunch of Untrained Galileans who were speaking every language that was present in Jerusalem. They'd never studied these foreign languages, but they were able to speak them and communicate the gospel. Simon Peter would tell them this was what is spoken of by the prophet Joel. He told them that because Joel had told them it will come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why he brought up Joel. And they did bodies of the two thieves crucified with Jesus were still somewhere decomposing probably in the garbage dump where they usually threw the bodies of executed criminals but Jesus is alive and ascended into glory so with this brief foray then into the other gospel accounts Understanding that, yes, they all emphasize different things and they told different parts of the story. But if you'll study it and read it, you can piece the storyline together. You know that Jesus was with them for 40 days after the Passover. The 50 days then, that's 10 days. That's how long the prayer meeting lasts when they tarried in Jerusalem. 10 days would occur from the time when Jesus ascended back into heaven and the time when Pentecost happened. Just 10 days, just a little more than a week. They were with Jesus and saw him go back to heaven. And then they're standing up and preaching it and thousands, thousands believe. (laughs) You understand then this morning why I'm talking about the witnesses? Why Mark put these witnesses on such prominent display. He brings up these three witnesses. The first, of course, Mary Magdalene. We've already talked about her. We won't spend much time here today. Mark's account of Mary Magdalene is very brief. He starts in verse 9. Mary saw Jesus. She went and told the apostles. They didn't believe her. That's it. Other gospel writers give more information about that encounter. They tell us more about the conversation that happened between Jesus and Mary. But Mark wants us to notice this. Mary saw Jesus. She was the first one. She went and told the apostles. They didn't believe her. Second group of witnesses that Mark mentions are two unnamed disciples. Verse 12. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. Same day. Sunday. Sunday, they appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, and neither believed they them. Now, we know this event happened on the road to Emmaus, 
when Jesus appeared in another form, as Mark tells us. And we, no doubt he, t- he said that because when Jesus appeared to those two disciples, they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. They, couldn't, they didn't see him. And they began to talk and ask them why, were they so, so, why they were so sad. And they said, well, man, where have you been? Hadn't you heard about what happened? We believed that Jesus was Messiah. They crucified him. And it's the third day since these things have happened. They didn't know who Jesus was, but they heard an incredible sermon just the same. I hope God has it on video. I want to watch it someday. Luke chapter 24, verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools, this is Jesus, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... That's Genesis to Malachi, folk. The whole Old Testament, beginning at Moses all the way up to the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Finally, it was supper time, and they said, Here, why don't you come in and eat? And they sat down at the table, and Jesus broke bread and suddenly knew them. They knew him. And just like that, he was gone. (laughs) Oh, man, what a day. Still Sunday. He appeared to those two unnamed disciples on the Emmaus Road. And Mark tells us uh, after they saw Jesus, they went and told the disciples, but they didn't believe them either. But they didn't tarry in that unbelief very long. Because, uh, you see, they went to the place where the disciples were hiding out in Jerusalem. And as they were there, verse 14, Mark mentions then the next witnesses. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not which they had seen him after he was risen. All the way through the scriptures, I, I just see... Things with which we're so familiar. And it makes me think, you know, those folks were just Baptists. How do we know that? Because it didn't matter what happened. They still got together and ate on Sunday night. (laughs) They were sad. Yeah, it was a terrible time. Yeah, but hey, we got to eat. So there they were. And they were breaking bread. And suddenly, just like he had left the guys in Emmaus, there he is. In the midst. Oh, what a night. He preached to them too. He appeared unto the eleven as they said at me, the Bible says, and he abraded them, upbraided them. It's a very strong word. This word could mean to rebuke, uh, to rail on, or to rail against, or to denounce. And what was he upset about? Their unbelief. I tell you what, after going through all of these months looking at what Jesus said and did in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we've come to, there's one thing that stands out. Jesus didn't like unbelief very much. And he rebuked them severely. He let the hammer down on them. 
for their unbelief, especially in the light of such empirical evidence. He had sent them two different witnesses by this point in time, maybe more. It also appeared apparently to Simon Peter. They had empirical evidence, and yet some were not believing. But there they were, the witnesses. You see, they, they were witnesses. Jesus was going to tell them to witness, and, and they became witnesses. And what witnesses they became. This narrative then of that Sunday so long ago began early in the pre-dawn darkness. Progressed throughout the afternoon as Jesus preached the day away with a couple of them. And then concluded that Sunday night while they were eating. Three separate witnesses, Mary Magdalene, the two disciples, the group of disciples as a whole, the witnesses. Then Mark mentions the world, verse 15. Uh, so after he had preached to them a while, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This Jesus said that very night, Sunday night. Now we remember that Jesus, again, it's very important to remember, Jesus was with them, for the disciples, for 40 days, and he taught them many times, and he taught them many things. These words are similar words, obviously, were something that he repeated many times. We see it here uh, on that very night at the upper room that he was telling them that they were going to go and preach the gospel uh, to everybody in the whole world. He would do it again in Galilee when they met. We know that because Matthew records that when they were in Galilee on, on a mountain, a mountain that Jesus had appointed, he would give them what we know as the Great Commission. We know that he said it again in Jerusalem at least three times then. He would say it again in Jerusalem, very similar word, just before he ascended. And in fact, as the disciples were standing there looking up into heaven, God sent them an angel and said, why are y'all looking up into heaven? The same Jesus is going to come back. Y'all got business to do. Go do what he told you to do. So at least three different times we know that he said either these exact words are very, very similar words. You see, this was characteristic of Jesus' teaching. He didn't just tell them one time. He told them again and again. And that's what you have to do. You see, the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. But the Bible doesn't teach once taught, always taught. It doesn't. Uh, just the opposite, in fact. In fact, Isaiah 28 gives us a formula. It says, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, line upon line, precept upon precept, line upon line. That is, we hear it, and we add a little bit more to it. We hear it again. We add a little bit more. We learn a little bit more. We get a little understanding. This is a lifelong process. Amen? How do we learn the Bible? We hear it again and again. How do we learn God's truth? We hear it again and again. You say, I already know it. In that case, all we're getting is it affirmed to us again and again. But there's always a little nugget that God uh, uses to touch us in a special way. Maybe something we hadn't seen before. Just a little here and there, more and more. 
And so Jesus would tell them this again and again and again. Go into all the world. It would be a long time before the disciples understood that the world meant the world. See, for a long time they thought that Jesus sent them unto the Jews in all the world. It would take a, a prominent act of God to convince them that it would mean the Gentiles as well. And, and more importantly, that the Gentiles would be equal beneficiaries of the power of the Gospels and equal participants in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But they'd learn it. And thank God they did. You shall be witnesses unto me to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, Mark 16, 16 is a champion verse for those who believe baptism saves us or is a part of the salvation process. Jesus said, believe and be baptized. If you look at that in Greek, it says the same thing. But you'll notice, first of all, that Jesus emphasizes the believing part in two successive statements. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved but the first one, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe. So he mentions baptism. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And there are many, many people in the world who believe that the way you can be certain of going to heaven is through our own works. And it usually begins with baptism. And certainly we're saved by faith, they'll tell you, but then we've got these works. And the first one is baptism and then many other things that we must do and many other things that we must not do if we are to be certain of heaven. There are many people who believe that way. But the first thing that Jesus talks about is these signs. We'll, we'll talk about that for a moment. He who doesn't believe, he says, is condemned. He doesn't say he who doesn't or isn't baptized, but he who doesn't believe. And then he talks about the signs that would follow those who believe. Not those who believe and are baptized, but those who believe. Now, we'll get to that other in just a moment. But before we do, let's talk about the signs. The signs Jesus mentioned were of a limited duration. A quick look at Acts would show all of these signs showing up in the New Testament narrative, except for the drinking of poison. There were numerous accounts of this in history that are referred to in various places, but uh, they're, they're not authoritative. The, the New Testament doesn't mention anybody who drank poison and survived. We know that Paul was bit by a poisonous snake and saw no ill effects of that. Uh, Jesus uh, talked about these signs. We know about speaking in tongues. We know about... Uh, the healing miracles, the disciples, the apostles would certainly heal far more people than Jesus did. So those signs would indeed be shown. But those signs were of a limited duration. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that those sign gifts would cease. And they did. They ceased with the completion of God's revelation to us through the apostles and prophets. And once God put a period on the book of Revelation, those sign gifts were done. But they were there. Jesus said they would go out, that they would have these signs. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. We'll see that in a few moments. 
So if, if a person is condemned because they do not believe, and they are, and if these signs would follow those who believe, and they did, then why did Jesus introduce baptism into this discussion? First of all, remember, Jesus spoke of baptism repeatedly in this context. Wherever and whenever he gave this instruction, he spoke of baptism. We see it here in Mark in that upper room in Jerusalem. We saw it in Galilee in Mark's uh, or Matthew's context. Again, the Great Commission I've mentioned. I want to read it to you now, verse 16 of Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Period. That's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He said something similar in Luke's account, uh, both in his gospel account and in Acts chapter 1. So over and over again, the New Testament emphasizing believing on Jesus Christ as what is necessary to go to heaven. And in order to make that, in order to make that very clearly, I'm afraid that sometimes we have maybe a little bit de-emphasized the role of baptism, and we shouldn't have done that. I want to be very clear with you this morning. I want to show you some very clear passages of Scripture. When it comes to going to heaven, over and over again, the Bible emphasizes that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Over and over again. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Uh, when the Philippian jailer came and asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, one of the clearest statements of the gospel truth to be found in the New Testament. Paul said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those are two very, very clear passages of Scripture that emphasize the role of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If baptism is necessary for salvation, we'd really have no explanation for why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14, I thank God that I baptize none of you. But Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And so I bring these passages to you today just to show you that over and over again in the New Testament narrative, we see countless passages of scripture many many passages of scripture that are going to emphasize the role of belief how do you how what must i do to be saved believe on the lord jesus christ 
And Jesus spoke of baptism every time he put, in, uh, put this context, every time he put this command together. Whenever he was teaching them about what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to go out and preach the gospel and baptize people uh, who believed on him. But remember that in our text, Jesus is bringing together in Mark's account these two things about witnesses and going into all the world. Witnesses. Being a witness, the witness of the gospel. You see, baptism is the first way that we testify to the world that we have been saved. What is baptism except a testament to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If there was no resurrection from the dead, we'd drown everybody we baptized. The very fact that you go under the water and we pull you back up. You know what you come up saying, whether you say it or not. You are saying it, whether it comes out of your mouth or not. You're saying it. You're living it. You're saying what? Jesus Christ is alive. That's what you're saying. And I believe it. And I'm alive in him. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. It is a testament to the fact that you are a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that you've made a decision then to be a follower of Him. Now, if you want to see how the disciples understood what Jesus told them to do, we don't have to worry about it very long because right there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, they show us how they applied what Jesus taught them to do. They that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What happened? Stay with me here. People believed. They were baptized. They were added to the church. Believed. Baptized. Added to the church. That's how the disciples understood the words of Jesus. How they put them into practice. They were given power from on high. They preached the gospel with the accompanying signs as Jesus had promised. And again, remember, this was only 50 days after Jesus had hung dead on a cross in this very city. Now there's 3,000 people dripping all over the streets. Saved, baptized, added to the church. They weren't done. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. What did they do? They preached the gospel. They baptized those who believed. They added them to the church and they taught them, folk, we're still following that formula today. I'm glad to be a part of a church that still believes that formula works. It does. But it only works because of the power of the Spirit of God that works in it. That's what was going on then. That's what's going on now. See, it's important for us to remember that while baptism is not required for a person to go to heaven, it is required. It is required if you're going to be an effective witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you say, oh, I believe that Jesus is alive, and yet you've never taken that step of baptism? Do you understand how that leaves you as a secret disciple? Uh, your witness is stopped right there. 
It's dis- difficult, if not impossible, then to convince people of the power of faith. If you refuse to follow the command of Jesus Christ and show your faith in baptism. So while there's error out there, yes, there is. It's been around a long time that you've got to be baptized to be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But it also teaches that we are to be baptized. And Jesus puts those things together in this text very, very prominently as he talks about our witness so that we'd understand how vital baptism is to our witness. Mark then leaves us with this, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. Now that wasn't immediate. We remember 40 days. This was Sunday night. And all, all Mark says is after that, sometime after that. Well, we know how much time, 40 days after this. He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. They went forth and preached everywhere. Thank God, the Lord working with them. That same Lord is still working with us today. And as we go out then and share the message of the living Lord Jesus Christ, we are not abandoned to accomplish that work on our own because the mighty Spirit of God lives in us. Jesus promised us that he would not abandon us as an orphan child. He would not leave us comfortless. But he would come to us, and he has, and he lives in us. And he empowers us to continue this work that he gave us so long ago. The signs played out exactly like Jesus said they would. And they're faithfully recorded. And by this we know that the apostles' testimony to us is true and valid. But there's something that Mark didn't say. You see, Mary Magdalene's testimony wasn't believed. You remember? The two men that Jesus talked to on the road, their testimony wasn't believed either. The third group then that Jesus mentioned were the apostles. And they were eyewitnesses. They witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were sent out to become witnesses. But guess what? Not everybody believed them either. Not everybody believed them either. And that has been the sad reality of the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ from that day until this day. From Jerusalem to Samaria, or from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, wherever the gospel has spread. It has been spread by people who are witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and he has showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Do you believe he's alive today? Of course you do. Of course you do. Do we know he's alive today? Of course we do. The hymn writer said it best. Ask me how I know he lives. He lives in my heart. I know he lives. Yes, he lives. No, I haven't seen him with these eyes. And because of that, Jesus pronounced a special blessing on us. He would say to Thomas, though Mark didn't record it, 
Thomas, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. I'm one of those. I haven't seen his nail-pierced hands and feet. I haven't seen his side of the wounds upon his back, and yet I know he lives, and so do you. We're still witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But just like Mary, just like those two men, just like the apostles, we're not always believed. Jesus told us about that. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. He said, enter in by the straight, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The way of salvation is simple. But the way of salvation is very small. In one way, it's very great. That is, it's very wide in a way. It's big enough for the whole world so that the Bible can say, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We could look at it that way. But that's not the way Jesus talked about it in the text. He said it's a straight gate. And it's a narrow way. Why? Because only one person is that gate. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And though the whole world could be saved, anybody could be saved. They're all saved one person at a time. One person at a time. I can't be saved for you. I, I can't just declare the whole city of Cabot saved, although that kind of nonsense has gone on in the past and still goes on. That, that's not the way salvation works. Salvation works when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior because they believe that Jesus died. He died for their sins, was buried. And rose again the third day. And they've trusted him to be their savior. Have you made that decision today? Have you received Jesus Christ as your savior? If you have, I'm so grateful, so thankful you have. But I've got another question to ask you today. Are you a secret disciple? Are you keeping it to yourself? Or have you followed the Lord in baptism? And then we ask ourselves the question, how are we doing about going into all the world to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love? You say, Brother Rich, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Yep, you do. Chances are somebody you work with Needs to hear the story of Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go here tomorrow. Hey, pretty good chance. Somebody you meet tomorrow. Might need to know about Jesus Christ. I may not have the chance though, Brother Rich. To, 
Go through all of this gospel account. Uh, it doesn't take long to tell somebody Jesus loves them. It doesn't take long maybe to share a gospel track. Just pass along the story of Jesus Christ and his love. Let's stand together, please.